0: For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And uh, one of my favorite subjects today, we're going to talk about creativity, amongst other things, with my guest, Dr. Ron Alexander. Good evening well, it's good evening here, but I'm guessing if you're in LA it's good morning to you, doctor and how are you? Good,
1: good. So it's good evening and good morning.
0: it is at the same time and that's that's a creative thing in itself to hold those two ideas in themselves uh, at the same time. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I've been a pioneer in the field
1: of uh, holistic health, holistic psychology, and behavioral medicine since nineteen. 19- 76. And I was one of the original founders of the very first holistic health and medical clinic at the Cedar Sinai medical office towers in 1978. Wow. I've been teaching and writing books on mindfulness, positive psychology and creativity uh, since
0: 1976. Right. Um, Excellent. And um Obviously, you're thinking about creativity as a subject in your current books about creativity. Where where did the interest first arrive in your life around creativity?
1: Well, interestingly enough, when I was an adolescent, I lived in Boston. And so I would go to Harvard Square Mm -hmm. as a teenager and spend my afternoons on Saturday and Sunday at the Harvard bookstore, uh, reading books on existential philosophy in in the second year that I was there, yeah. I discovered some books on Zen Buddhism. And I started reading about Zen Buddhism and existential philosophy. And in the evenings, I would go to the various uh, music venues like the Club 47 to listen to music. And then as things progressed from the folk music to the British invasion, where all the bands would come over from England, Rolling Stones, The Who, Beatles, um, Jethro Tull, and they would uh, play very small uh, venues in Boston as kind of like a dress rehearsal. So I started listening to music and then started playing in a group uh, throughout high school. Mm -hmm. And so I started becoming really fascinated with the creative process by both the members of my own music group as well as sitting and listening to the Rolling Stones uh, or the Who and just being mesmerized. Mm.
0: With your, your... It, it it's very it's very interesting, isn't it? The um because there are different levels of creativity in the music business. I, I, I used to be a musician myself. And um there's that creating music from scratch and there's that interpreting music and then there's having the basics to be able to um adapt music through the form of jazz and things like that. I just wonder if you see those creative processes being similar or, or, um, in some way derivations, each other, how would you, how would you talk about that? I think there's a similarity
1: between all creative processes in music, uh, and other forms of art right. in the, the thread, um, is innovation, invention, um, the development and the and the working hard at a particular musical theme or artistic theme or even a theme for a book, and then I think there is, um, what what my book is about: core creativity, mm. and that's something I, is very unique and special. And for example, since we're talking music, um, the song "Yesterday." written by Paul McCartney, was a song that he actually dreamed um, and woke up and wrote it down. Mm. And then the next morning, played it on the piano. And then for about a month, he took it all around um, London, like you would do if you found a bag of money, basically asking people, have you heard of this? Or is this somebody's? Or trying to symbolically turn it into the police. And then he realized after about a month that it was his. Mm. And that it had come from what I call the creative unconscious. Mm. Of course, pure originality, which is core creativity, arises, whether it's Mozart or Beethoven, where they, when they're composing, they actually hear simultaneously all of the various parts of the symphony. And it's as if it's coming from some sort of, um, mystical other uh, and if we want to de mythify something like call the mystical other then one could say it comes from one's uh, pure core collective unconscious yes that's integrated to all cultures all histories all times in the greeks for example um, the way that they organized and articulated creativity was they had the metaphor of the nine goddesses,
0: mm.
1: the sense of the muse. In most of the creatives that I interviewed for my book and I've studied the last 46 years, um, they all report whether they have a formal meditation or prayer practice or something more informal like Three or four of the creators I interviewed sit outside of their studio on their front deck in the morning, and they have a cup of coffee or tea, some smoke, a cigarette, and they look at the sky. Mm. And what I've come to discover is what they're really doing is they've created their own meditation state that's not so formal to
0: access and tap into the creativity, the creative yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about it as being a hypnotic state rather than a meditative state. Uh, but uh, but there, there's a Venn diagram between those two words anyway, so that that w- would work there. It's interesting you talk about the idea of um, the core creativity because actually the same has arrived in philosophy and invention and engineering. Da Vinci talked about the this idea of being able to wake up with a, with an idea and you know, you know m- more modern people have in terms of physics and such like. So this idea of sleep. And the and the power of sleep is something which is extraordinarily important in creativity. Whether you equate it to a a collective unconsciousness or just a, a humanistic um, ability for the brain to re re energize and regenerate in this particular sort of way, I'm, I'm guessing you're a particular fan of sleep and in the creative process. Yes, I, I am.
1: Uh, in the book, I describe several um, anecdotes similar to the yesterday with Paul McCartney mm. is Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah. He used to um, dream entire chapters and the physicist that invented the benzene ring, it, it he had an image of two snakes uh, eating each other's tails. And another vignette that I go into in the book is that the late, great, uh, very creative uh, Steve Jobs, founder yeah. of Apple Computer, yeah. is he hated, he, he would take his family to Kyoto frequently uh, for vacations. And he would gather up all the CDs he wanted to listen to. And he'd have five or six different CD, portable CD players from various companies. And he used to you know, refer them all to as crap Uh, because they were always breaking the lousy uh, audio ability and so he was in one of his planes and he kind of dozed off and you know he had a kind of a waking daydream of like what would it be like and he looked at his hand to have your entire record collection in the palm of your hand Mm -hmm. yeah and now we you know we had the uh iPod and now we have the iPhone and smartphones and we have everything, not only uh entire music collections, but we have all music co- collections. Yes.
0: Uh, but it's almost as if um, we've got two bits. We've got the language in which the person works in, either it's music or engineering or technology or something. So it's very rare to find someone like Steve Jobs inventing a piece of music or, you know, but having that ability to cross go across different dimensions of, of work. So it seems to be that there's something around specialization, which is important as well. Um, I mean, would you buy into that? Or is that just a myth? No, I think specialization, that's a
1: a very important and salient point that you bring up. And someone like Steve Jobs um, was someone that listened, for example, and very much adored Bob Dylan. And he even uh, temporarily dated Joan Baez. So he was always really interested in creativity and specialization. An example of specialization was when he dropped out of college at Reed College in his first year, he took up calligraphy in the entire early development of the very first software for the very first Mac. He adapted from his classes in calligraphy. Mm. And so I think We might be, say, in tech, somebody might be an engineer working uh, for Snapchat, who um, I've consulted for, and Apple, and Sun Microsystems, and someone with an engineering mind can simultaneously, as they fine-tune a certain project they're working on, they can revert, though, to what I, again, I call this the kind of mystical other, and they can Take time to reflect. And engineers in the, in the software business and uh, the dot com business I've consulted with have told me that they take time to think about. And then they say, while they're thinking about something, they go into a spontaneous state where there is no thought. Yeah. And that's that state. And I think they're able to then adapt a new view to create more specializ- specialization. In whatever uh, job um, or productivity or performance activity that's required.
0: Yes, and and so you seem to link the process of mindful. Sorry, this this is my own interpretation. You seem to link the uh, idea of mindfulness and meditation quite strongly with creativity. Is 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 that correct? Is that my does that make sense? Yes.
1: Yes. Why, why um, is that?
0: Why is that? Is that because it's the this you're manufacturing that state of no thought.
1: Yes. um, Mindfulness, and it's a a meditational uh, approach that I've been studying both in a non-sectarian way, but also since I'm an ordained Zen Buddhist, um, I've been studying Buddhism, as I mentioned, since I was an adolescent. And mindfulness seems to be a very clean and very direct way to access one's creativity and to empty one's mind of ordinary thinking. And what I write about in the book is that core creativity comes from that non-ordinary state that oftentimes when we're just in our rational mind and we're filled with our thoughts, you know, I'm thinking about shopping or thinking about after this interview, what am I going to eat for breakfast? But mindfulness helps us to filter out a lot of that um, Mm ditrus of um, distractive thought, and takes us and drops us down into what is the first stage of core creativity, which is called the absorbing mind. Mm -hmm. But in order to be an absorbing mind, which is a state of being receptive, I call it a state of receptivity to one's core creativity, we have to free our regular mind or the ego mind of the thinking process uh, in a way where we're able to kind of look at thoughts as just like clouds that pass by in the sky. Yeah. And the more that we do that, mindfulness takes us into a much deeper and more lucid and clearer state of
0: mind. Yes. So there are a lot of people who work in the mindfulness world who advocate it as, a, as simply something you should do, irrespective of outcome, but you're saying somehow you shape this towards a, a creative out- outcome.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many um, divergent thoughts and approaches to how to utilize uh, meditation. Of course, mm. the fundamental principle by the Buddha is to cease striving, st- suspend all activity and all effort, and just be present. Yeah. But I've discovered by working with, um, individuals in my private psychotherapy practice and in my creativity coaching practice for 46 years that creatives are best um, assisted to learn to use mindfulness as a way to fine-tune and hone into their creativity process rather than to just like sit there and just empty the mind, empty the mind, empty the mind, which many, many people find very... um welcoming and useful, although many, many people also, I must say, will say to you, and I'm sure you as a practitioner also know this, when you ask some people to meditate for two minutes in your office, they can't do it. I mean, it's torture. And so what I've discovered is people are best served by doing mindfulness on a nice walk in nature. And In the book, um, Daily Rituals, of creatives, uh, that researcher found um, that almost 75% of every creative, whether it was a, a painter or a sculpturist or a musician um, or a photographer or a writer or a philosopher, 75 to 80%, they all, at some point in the afternoon or the early evening, they took uh, the daily walk. Mm. And again, just coming back to Steve Jobs for a moment. Um, when Jobs had a big decision, like around design, um, or a hiring decision uh, to hire someone, he not only would take his own daily walk, but he would often have the person come out, fly out, and instead of sitting in his office or at his home office, he would take them on a daily walk. Yeah, Because he said there was something... Really was um transforming mm. for him in his own creative uh process about thinking about something that would open up uh, yes. on a walk so mindfulness we can do when walking in yeah. um, freeing ourselves of you know all, all that
0: chatter and distraction um, so there's many ways to apply it, yes. I mean, it's been very popular in the world of coaching. I know you coach as well, as, as do I. And, you know, the idea of walking coaching is seems a very simple idea, but since um, lockdown, it's been prevalent. Because actually, if the brain's utilising its vast resources and keeping you upright and not, you know, falling over dogs and other small children mm-hmm. and such like, actually, <laughs> it, yeah. it does allow that hypnotic process to take place, doesn't it? It allows that slightly... Um, well, you don't have enough time to argue, really. You've got more time to think because your your body using up too much of its own cognitive processing power. Um, I'm interested in the idea of collective unconscious because, obviously, as a psychologist myself, you know, we're, a lot of our work goes back to Jung and such like. Um, but I'm also very interested in the idea of situational collective consciousness because I don't you don't you don't see musicians writing music in a, a non Western musicians writing music in a non Western culture, oh, very rarely anyway. Um, you don't see people. Um, dreaming out or creating inventions outside of their their sphere, and I just wonder that that's why I like the idea of collective unconsciousness because I think it is it comes from the culture in which we're part. Do you think, therefore, there is a benefit for people in terms of um, mixing mixing up the brain, um, such like working in different cultures, you know, understanding people's different ideas, understanding different philosophies, methodologies, such like. Uh, I mean, instinctively, one would think it would be good for you. I mean, I spent time in China and the Middle East, and I also said it was, you know, the idea of tra- travel broadens the mind has been fas- fas- fascinating. But do you think there's actually a, um, a scientific or a therapeutic uh, motivation for that actually being something that's useful?
1: Yeah, Yes, I do. And I, I think that's a, a, a brilliant point of yours, Russell. Um, I've traveled extensively uh, throughout my entire uh history as a psychotherapist and coach and professor to Bali, Thailand, India, many trips, um, Nepal, uh, Australia, um, all over Europe. And I've always come back very much um, enriched, but also the outer journey has always taken me on some sort of internal journey. Yes. And um, in 1993, I was in the tail end of uh, U2's tour in um, Ireland, in Dublin. And um, one night I got together uh, just socially with uh, the lead guitarist uh, from U2 and uh, his lovely wife in two 30 in the morning in a, uh, the pub of uh, the Hilton hotel off uh, St. Stephen's green. And um we were talking, and he was uh, chatting with me about that when they finished the Joshua Triad record. Um, they really felt that they had kind of completed their own genre of their sound, right? And so, as a group, they decided that they would spend the next three or six months in Germany, in Berlin, where it was dank and dark and cloudy and they spent times in underground music clubs and in museums and art galleries and the um the lead guitarist uh, edge he said that he started uh, dreaming about the new melodies and sounds and uh, meditating i believe he practices ashtanga yoga i've i've uh, read about it uh, in the press and that um we were talking and uh, he said, what do you think about that? And I said, well, Carl Jung would say that you're spot on. And um, he said to me, well, um, what would you call that? And I said, well, I would call that, and that's when I coined the term for Western psychology and in Buddhist psychology, I said, you've entered into open mind. Mm. And so, um, and since that time period, um, that band has gone to i've i've read um they went to uh, morocco to fez and were there for 3 months again immersing themselves in a completely different culture um, i think something happens when you take the outer journey yeah happens inside there's an inner journey and there's an inner uh, listening yes. that takes place creatively
0: and that that for me is the the usefulness of the process of meditation, isn't it? On mindfulness, is to make sure you do both things because they don't have they don't happen by accident in a way. You have to work at this process a little. I mean, you might have a different view, but I, I tend to think that a lot of people who travel who get very little enlightenment. Um, if if you see what I mean, so you have to actually be able to use the other, do the inner part as well.
1: Yeah, and I call that in the three stages of accessing cold creativity the first stage is entering absorbing mind. Mm. And absorbing mind is not only an internal state, but I recommend that people go outside and they absorb from books and literature and film and music and to go to art museums and art openings and to salons where people are reading uh, new poetry because there's an immersive component to cultivating one's creativity that includes going out first and then going inside with the mindfulness meditation to pay attention to what you begin to receive from the uh, creative unconscious,
0: yeah, brilliant, oh, um I can almost sense my finger hovering over the Amazon button ready to buy your book, so uh you get. Uh, I always enjoy buying the, the books of people who have interested me because uh, that's the point of a podcast, isn't it? Stimulated yes. interaction. So tell us the name of the book and where we can get hold of it, uh, Dr. Okay. Rob. Okay,
1: great. Thank you. Um, it's called Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self and by Ronald Alexander. And you can obtain it on, on, on Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Noble.com, any kind of bookseller.
0: And I'm just having a look on Amazon.uk, which is ours, and there it is sitting there in hardcover uh, and Kindle as well. There you go. It's all no excuses. Let's go and improve everyone's creativity and let's link this internal and external journey because I think that's the key. It's um, life's precious, isn't it? And the more experiences we have, consciously put them into use, I think, is the way that we really begin to move the human psyche forward, isn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah. And you said something um, twice during the interview that I I think is really important. Um, You paired the mindfulness state uh, and the creative state with the hypnotic state. Mm. I think that that's really, really important. Um, People need to know that they can do self-hypnosis and that there's a way of accessing directly your unconscious through the process of hypnosis and self-hypnosis by going into a trance, which is an altered state of consciousness, it's different from a meditation state, but similar. But when you go into a trance, your entire unconscious mind is available to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, picked that out that I'd picked it out from you because it's a subject in which we're both interested it's been a joy to spend time with you today and uh, I wish you well with the book so let's just make sure that we've got that one more time just remind us of the title it's core creativity the mindful way to unlock your creative self um, online and in bookshops dr ron it's been a joy to talk to you today thank you very much you take care thank you hi everybody I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas, or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links.